Well, let's jump back in the manual real quick. Let's take our seats. We're on page 40. And again, we are talking about healing like Jesus. We just mentioned in Matthew 4.23 and 4.24 that Jesus healed them all. Now we're going to look at Luke chapter 4, verse 40. And when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with various diseases brought them unto him and laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Notice, laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Them who? Every one of them. So again, we see he healed them all. <clears throat> now, this is a big thing because no matter how many of these we read, and there's several more, uh, I guess I could go ahead and read the other one first, but you'll notice here, uh, even in the next one, in Luke chapter 6, in verse 17, in verse 18, verse 17 says, And he came down with them and stood in the plain, and the company of his disciples, and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem, and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. So now notice they came to be healed. And they that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue, that word virtue is dunamis, power, out of him and healed them all. So again, healed them all. You hear that? Now, you're going to see this over and over again. Now, any, even though we're saying this, and I can show you many, many times where he said this, healed them all, <clears throat> invariably because we've been so, uh, had it drilled into us, that the first, no matter what, how many times we read this, we'll come up with the question, but what about his own hometown? He couldn't even heal everybody in his own hometown. Right? And, and it always goes back to that because that is something that's been drilled in. Now, first, before we look at that, <clears throat> why did that get drilled into us? It was because somebody prayed for somebody and they didn't get results. So they had to go back to the Bible and try to find something that gave them an excuse for not getting results. Because if they couldn't come up with an excuse, then they would be removed from their position in the people's eyes. So they had to come up with a reason to stay in that position and be able to uh, come up with a reason why some people don't get healed. And that was really the birth of, well, they got to have faith. And if they don't have faith, and it's, if they don't get healed, it's because they don't have faith. Well, again, we're going to look at this in detail as we go along. We'll totally disprove that. But I want you to realize, let's look at the next one on page 41. And this is a sacred cow. This is one of the first ones that we'll deal with. People say even Jesus couldn't get everyone healed because of their unbelief. So we look at it. We have two accounts of the same situation. One is more complete than the other. People know the one, but they don't know about the other because they are schooled in unbelief and theology, but not in the word of God. So let's look at that. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 53, it says, And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. 
and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now, let's read what it actually says. If you really want to see what the Bible says, you have to read exact, you have to read all of it, every word, right? And I always tell everybody, read slower and read every word. And if you really want to know what what's going on, go back about seven to ten verses and then read the next seven and ten verses together, right? Then you get a good overall view and it's in context. But now notice, <clears throat> let's read verse 58. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And notice it does not say he did not do any. It said he didn't do many. All right. Now, <clears throat> and I'm, I'm not going to try to um, go into too much detail in this, but we know this took place uh, in Nazareth. We know this was in his hometown. Okay. As it was called at that time. And we know that Nazareth being a small city, uh, there wouldn't have been many people there, right? So he couldn't have healed many if he tried because there weren't many there to be healed. You understand that? Uh, there was a small number of people in the city. So no matter how, if he healed them all, it's still just a few. You got that? Okay, now let's, but let's go on. And in verse 58, he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now, the, the corresponding scripture here is Mark chapter 6. And in Mark chapter 6, verse 1, it says, And he went out from thence, came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. Many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? What wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judah, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. So you can see this is exactly the same situation, almost word for word. <clears throat> then in verse 4, But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. Now look at verse 5. And he could there do no mighty work, save, which means except, okay, except that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. You hear that? Now, notice it didn't say he didn't heal anybody, but now notice what it does say. He laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. Now, notice every person he laid hands on got healed. He never tried and failed. You hear that? Now, how many he got to lay hands on? Who knows? Right? Now, first off, it says that the city was offended at him. Now, when people are offended at you, they don't line up for you to lay hands on them. They talk about you at a distance, they stay at a distance, and they don't want you praying for them, they don't want you doing anything for them because they're offended, right? So there were a few people that came forward that were sick, and he laid his hands on them, and they were healed. So every person that he did lay hands on got healed. So once again, now, again, it probably wasn't hundreds or thousands, you know, maybe it was 10, maybe it was 20, who knows, but every person that came got hands laid on them and got healed. So he did not fail even one time. Now, like right here in, in Plano, Texas, where we are, we, we come in, we minister to people, but there are people out there, number one, that don't know about us, don't know we're here, don't know what they could get by being here. Uh, and obviously there's probably some here that are also offended at me. And I grant you, they don't line up for me to pray for them. Right? And so now others do come, we minister to them, they get healed. It's that simple. And so we cannot look and say, well, but there were people there in Jesus' hometown uh, that didn't get healed. Well, not any that he prayed for. 
as we would say. Now notice, I will point this out too. It never says anywhere, anywhere from Matthew to John and really even further than that. But let's talk about just Jesus's ministry. Not one time will you ever find it that Jesus ever prayed for any person. Not once. He never prayed, right? He laid hands on the sick, okay? He ministered to them. He healed them. He set them free. But there's not one record of him praying for them. Now, the closest we get, and this isn't even with Jesus. This is in the book of Acts after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection when they bring Peter in to raise Tabitha. And when they bring her in, or when they bring him in, it says he knelt down and prayed. Then he got up and turned himself toward her and then raised her from the dead. So even then, he wasn't praying for her. He wasn't praying over her. He was praying. But there's nothing to say what he was praying or what he was saying because it's not recorded. So anything anybody says is conjecture, is speculation. And we cannot enter it into any type of testimony because we don't know. And so anybody could say, well, he was praying this. Well, you don't know that, right? You could say that and I could say this. So anything either one of us say is speculation holds no weight, right? So people, because of failure, now here's what we've done. The church has created a theology of failure because they pray for somebody, something doesn't happen, and then they come up with a reason why it didn't happen. But you don't see that in Jesus's ministry. You don't see it. Anytime. Matter of fact, the closest we come, there's two examples. Uh, one is with the disciples we've already talked about, where it says that they brought, the man brought his son to them. And then he came to Jesus and said, I brought my son, he has a devil, and I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. And then Jesus said, you, you, you faithless bunch. I'm paraphrasing, okay? But he says, you faithless, unbelieving generation. How long do I have to suffer you or put up with you? Well, that's pretty harsh. Right. I mean, that wasn't just, oh, that's OK. Don't worry about it. Yeah, you, you guys, you tried. You know, that's what counts. No, it didn't. That's not what counts. What counts is results. Right. Especially if you're the sick one. Right. When you're sick, you want results. You don't you don't want good intentions. Right. And so then he brought them to him. And then later on. And this is the, another sacred cow that people come up with. Uh, it's in Matthew. And actually, it's right. Um, where are we at? Well, actually, I think we already passed it once. We were there before. But it, it is. He goes in and says, um, they bring him, when they, when they come to him, they said, why could not we cast this spirit out? Why couldn't we cast this demon out? And one, in, in Matthew says one thing, Mark it says something slightly different. Sim, well, it sounds like it says the same thing, but in Matthew, what is in the King James Version is not in the Greek, right? And what it says basically is, uh, this kind comes forth, but doesn't come out, but by prayer and fasting, okay? And that's not in the original Greek, now, the reason it was put in there is because, yeah, um, if you can use prayer and fasting as a reason, then you've always got a, an escape. Why? Because you obviously didn't fast and pray long enough. So there's always something to it. Fasting and prayer does not bring power. Fasting and prayer separates you unto God so that you spend time with God. Let me give you the example. Humans are like onions. You go to the store, you grab an onion, you bring it home, you put it on your counter, no problem. It sits there, not a problem. Then you go over and you start peeling those layers off. Now, the minute you start peeling layers, what happens? That aroma, if you want to call it that, uh, starts to spread. Right? Now, did it, and people say, oh man, that, that thing just got stronger. Whew, that's strong. 
it didn't get stronger. It was there all the time. The difference was it was finally released because you peeled off layers. You got that? Now, with, with humans, we're the same way. God has put in us his spirit. It's the same spirit that was in Jesus. It's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Right? So it's powerful. It's as And listen, it doesn't grow in power. It is always the same power. It doesn't have less or greater power. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? So if that's true, then what accounts for the difference in variations in power? It is how much of the layers of the human gets peeled away. Because the more layers get peeled away, the more that aroma that was already there is released. And it's exactly the same thing with humans. The more of you that gets peeled away so that all that is left is him, the more he is released and the more he is demonstrated. So now notice, you don't grow in anointing, in power, any of that stuff, right? What it is, is what John the Baptist said. I must decrease so that he can increase. Well, did he increase? No, but he took the supremacy in the sense that I got to get out of his way, so to speak. I got to get out of the limelight and let him be him. So it's not that he gets stronger. It's that we get out of the way, right? And that's exactly where the power of God works. It's not a matter of you getting more power. You either have it or you don't. It's that simple. Now, the difference is if you have it and you're not seeing it, it's because there's too much of you left to where you're not, you don't know how to release it and it's still too much of you, right? So I'll give you something to think about there a little bit and we'll move on. Now, let's go to, uh, yeah, <clears throat> go to the next one. Go to page 42. <clears throat> Talking about healing like Jesus. Well, why did Jesus heal? Well, we've already seen, why did he heal? Compassion. Every time it mentions a reason, the reason is always compassion. Remember that. Then who did Jesus heal? Well, look at Luke 9-11, or we could say Luke 9-1-1. That's the way I like to remember it. Makes it easy, okay? Luke 9-1-1. So when you're in trouble and you need healing, remember Luke 9-1-1, right? That's all you got to do. <clears throat> and the people, when they knew it, followed him, and he received them and spoke unto them of the kingdom of God and healed them that had need of healing. Now notice, he healed them that had need. Notice it does not say them that had enough faith, them that had done everything just right, them that were prayed up, them, all that stuff. You see, it doesn't say any of that. It says them that had need, right? Now see, it is amazing to me how, especially as spirit-filled people, we can brag on God and talk about how big he is, and yet we come with the smallest reasons why he can't do something. You know, we'll talk about how he has all this power and how magnificent he is and all of this, and then we come with any little thing stops him just dead in his tracks, just stops him. He can't do anything with that. That is, and, and yet we will quote the scriptures that even before we call, he will answer, right? And yet we think we have to pray just right. See, we need to realize that it is according to the power, okay, Ephesians chapter three, verse 20 says this, that it is according to the power that works in you, right? That allows him to be able to do exceeding abundantly above all you can think or ask. You get that? All you can think. Imagine, imagine if we started believing, well, here's what I can think or ask. And it's pretty big, but here's, here's my limits of thinking and asking. And, and we get there and we define those boundaries. And then we go, but God can even do beyond that. 
And the minute we start doing that, he starts doing things what we would think is above our faith, but it's technically not because our faith is he's bigger than that. You see, our faith is, you know, here's one of our problems. We try to develop our faith, meaning we try to have faith in our faith. You don't need faith in your faith. Jesus said, your faith will fail, right? Remember, he prayed for Peter and said, I'm praying because that your faith will not fail you. But we found that it did, right? Because he denied him three times and then he came back, right? But we need to realize that even though your faith may fail, God is bigger, right? And the point is, your faith should not be in your faith. If your faith is in your faith, you are not, that, that's not Christian, that's humanism. Because your faith is actually in you. And people say, well, I just don't know if I have enough faith. All right, let's analyze that statement. What does it mean? What are you saying when you say, I'm not sure if I have enough faith for that. Or, you know, I'm trying to have faith, but I just don't think I can have that much faith. Okay, what you're actually saying is, I don't believe God can be trusted. Because that's what faith is. Faith is trusting that God will do what he said. That's all it is. Isn't that right? And when you say, well, I don't think I have enough faith, you're saying, well, you know, uh, I've known God a long time and I'm just not sure I can trust him that much. I mean, you know, he's, he's been pretty trustworthy, but he, he, you know, he, could still, he could still fail me. He could still let me down. You see, nobody would ever say those words, but that's what you're saying whenever you say you don't think you can have faith in God. So why? God, okay, your faith, again, I'll say this again, your faith should not be in your faith. Your faith should be in God. And if your faith is in God, then it's never a matter of, do I have enough faith? You will never find Jesus talking about how much faith. He talks about a type of faith, right? You say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know Jesus talked about great faith, little faith, uh, I know, I no faith. I mean, I, that's, that's amount. No, no, it's not, okay? What he was referring to every time was a type of faith. A type of faith means he was talking about a faith that perseveres, a faith that continues. In other words, a faith that decides from the beginning what the end is going to be like and then doesn't stop until the end, that situation looks like that, until your situation looks like how you saw the end. Does that make sense? So the, really faith is a matter of, okay, this is the way it looks. You know, their doctor's report says terminal. This is what the Bible says. By his stripes you were healed. Now, so the way it should look when this is all over, it should look like by his stripes I'm healed. Now, faith is I keep going and I keep trusting God until it looks like the Bible says it should look. If you stop before then, then that's little faith or that is no faith in some cases. So it's not about the amount of faith. He never said an amount of faith. He's talking about a perseverance of faith. The ability to stand. He that endureth to the end shall be saved. You get that? So the whole idea is not about an amount. When he said, well, according, well, like he told the uh, centurion, well, according to your faith, be it unto you. He wouldn't say according to how much faith you have. He was saying what you've said, according to the, what you just said, let that be unto you. Exactly what you just said. I agree with that. He wasn't talking about how much, because if that were true, there would have been a whole lot of cases that Jesus ministered to. Listen, if the faith that counts is on the person, if it's an amount, then there would have been a lot of cases of partial healing. But there wasn't. They were all healed. They were totally healed. You get that? Why? Because it wasn't the amount of faith. 
It was the type of faith that stayed until it got what it came for. Just like he talked about with both the centurion and the Syrophoenician woman. And so we have to realize when you talk about having faith in God, our faith is in him, not in our faith. Why? Because there may be times when you think, you know, man, I just don't feel like I got any faith at all. I mean, it's just like, I just, you know, I, I have no idea how this could work out. All I know is God said it would. And anybody listening to you would go, that ain't faith. Okay, well, let's go back and talk about faith. What is faith then? Remember what he said about the three Hebrew children that went into the fiery furnace? What did they say? Oh, king, uh, our God will protect us. He will, he will protect us. He will take care of us. But if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow. Right? Now, most people would say, well, that isn't faith because he said if he doesn't. And yet, those, that exact situation is mentioned in Hebrews 11 as an act and an example of faith. So faith is not in the thing, it's in God. Our God, no matter what, our faith is in Him. We will not bow our knee. We will not change our position. We will stand with God no matter what. And this is the way it's going to work. Now, if He protects us, great. If not, we'll be with Him, but we will not bow to you. Now, all you need to do is take the king out of that and put your sickness in there. All right, sickness, this is the way it's going to be. I will not bow to you. By his stripes I was healed. I'm healed. That's it. And I'm not going to bow. And even if I died with this sickness, guess what? I'm still not going to bow to you. You will not beat me. I, I would draw my last breath, kicking and fighting, disagreeing with the fact that you have the right to be on me. And God says, wow, that's faith. Healed. Bam. You understand that? I know that goes against some of the things, it goes against some of the stuff I was taught originally. But I remember Dr. Sumrall and watched how he did things. And he showed how to live faith as well as talk faith. And because of that, now, listen, you know, on another aspect of this, and I need to move on kind of quickly here, but there's one more point of this that I need to bring out. I'll be teaching on this specifically here in the near future uh, in a more of an extended time. But um, we need to realize Many times we know the principle that we call those things which be not as though they were, right? And we need to make sure that we're not doing the opposite, okay? Calling those things that are as though they're not, okay? Calling things that are as though they're not is not faith, right? Calling things, and do you understand what I'm saying here? In other words, I don't walk around saying, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not, especially if something was trying to get on me, I wouldn't walk around going, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick. No, that's calling things that are as though they're not. See, I call things that are not as though they are. By his stripes, I'm healed. By his stripes, I'm healed. See, I take his word and, I, and that's what the Bible says. So I, and what I'm experiencing is one thing, but I'm taking his word over what I feel. And when I do that, I call those things which be not as though they were and they become. You got that? That's the difference. Don't walk around saying I'm not sick, right? Because that's a, that's a lie if your body is sick. You understand? But you can call yourself healed and now you're not lying. Why? Because the truth is above the facts. The facts are you're sick. Okay? The truth is by a stripes you were healed. So you're agreeing with the truth. You're not denying the facts. You're agreeing with the truth. You get that? And when you understand that, then it starts to work for you. So, all right. That's just a little, that's by the way. All right. So now, who did Jesus heal? He healed them all. Point C, page 42. How did Jesus heal? Well, there were several ways 
but one was through a word of command and the, another was through the laying on of hands. There are other ways also, but the two primary ways through a word of command and laying on of hands. He never prayed, right? Never prayed for healing. That's another point. Now, point D, page 43. <clears throat> How much information did Jesus require to heal the sick? Well, Mark 10 tells us this in verse 51. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto you? The blind man said, Lord, that I might receive my sight. Jesus said unto him, Go your way. Your faith has made you whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Now notice, he didn't notice here. He didn't say, well, how'd you get blind? What, 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 what brought this on? He didn't say, um, well, listen, was anybody in your family blind? Does blindness run in your family? Is there a genetic thing or is, it a, is there a spiritual uh, generational thing here that we need to look at that we need to go back into and break? He didn't do any of that. He just said, what do you want? I want to receive my eyesight. Okay, receive it. Your face made you whole. Go ahead. Isn't that simple? And when we started ministering this way, everything changed. Why? Because it doesn't matter. See, people think that if they go back into a person's past and find something wrong, that they're actually getting to the root of the problem. Do you realize that's not the root? That's just a, a, a stopover on the way to the root. Go the rest of the way. The root is called the devil. You understand? The devil is the source of sickness and disease. The root is that, not the thing you did. Right? Not the thing in your family or whoever it is, and we'll, we'll show you this later on. If you get a hold of this teaching this week, you will be able to live so free. The enemy cannot get a hold of you, and you'll be able to walk it and live it and minister to people. And let me tell you, it is so easy to live this life and to be able to know. If somebody can say, excuse me, I got this going. Uh, Brother Craig, could you pray for me real quick? And I can, I can look at him and go, I don't have to say, well, make an appointment and come in because this is going to take a good, you know, 45 minutes before we get to the root of the thing. And you don't see that in Jesus's life. Right? He just walked along and heard people and says, hey, come here. What do you want? Uh, we need our eyesight. OK, you got it. He didn't go into detail. He didn't go into the background. He didn't do any of that. Why? Because when you have the power to set somebody free, you don't care how they got it. You just set them free. And then he would do, and when you do that, you start to live this life and you start to say, all right, you're free. Now, walk with me. Come, follow me. Let's, let's disciple you, right? Why? Well, because, you know, maybe, and, and like Wigglesworth, Wigglesworth treated all sickness and disease like a devil. Whenever Wigglesworth dealt with sickness, you couldn't tell if he was talking to cancer or the devil himself. He talked to both like a person. He commanded it. He spoke to it just like Jesus did the fig tree. The fig tree wasn't a, 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 an entity. It didn't answer him. It didn't talk to him. But as a matter of fact, when Jesus walked up, it, is, it says Jesus answered. So it's like the fig tree spoke to him and said, I'm not feeding you. Right? And Jesus answered and said, oh, yeah, well, you're not feeding anybody. Right. And, and now notice he, he did not say, I curse you. Dry up from the roots. He didn't say that. What did he say? No man eat fruit of you hereafter forever. Now, let's look at that statement. What does that statement say? Well, what is a fig tree for? To all fruit, all of the trees, all that was made for man to provide food, fruit for man. So when Jesus said, no man eat fruit of you hereafter forever, he was saying, your divine purpose, what you were put on this earth to do, you will never fulfill. Do you get that? Why? Because it failed to fulfill it for him. And it should have produced right then. It should have been there. You say, but it wasn't time of figs. But you don't understand. It didn't have to be the time of figs. 
He was the son of the living God. He was the creator of that thing. It should have produced right then. When he walked up, it should have said, oh, yes, sir, here you go. Here's a fig. It should have just been a fig just grew right there. And he would have said, all right, that's good. All right. And ate and went on. Why? Because he was inspecting the tree. All right. And he saw it. And he said, no man eat fruit of you hereafter forever. And then on, they went on in. And when they came back in the next day, Peter says, look, the tree that you cursed. Well, when did he curse it? Well, what is a curse? Whenever you speak and say you will never fulfill your God-given purpose, you are cursing somebody. When you tell somebody you're no good, you'll never be any good, you'll never amount to anything. What do you, come on, that's a curse. Why? Because that's not God's divine purpose for them to amount to nothing. God's divine purpose is they grow up to look like Jesus, right? That's a pretty good purpose. Amen. So when he, all he's saying is when you look at these situations, you have the ability to speak to these things. And it's the same thing. As you live your life, you just, you don't have to go into all these things and try to figure out where they came from. Why? Because it doesn't matter. And when, what, when Jesus, he said, whenever you cast a demon out, what do you do? He said, when you cast a demon out, it goes and it walks in the dry places, seeking rest. Okay? And the, the word rest means rest, but you know what it also means? Recreation. It goes seeking rest and recreation, right? And what does it do? It, and having found none, it goes back to the house it was cast out of. And he says, I'll go back to my house. And then he saw the human as a house. He says, I'll go back there. And when he comes back, he finds the house swept and clean, garnished, right? But not filled. So what is it? You cast this devil out? Yeah, you can cast him out. And you should anytime, anywhere. And as you do, then you say, listen, walk with me. Come on, let's, because here's what's going to happen. This is going to be good for a while. In a couple of days, some time period, uh, this thing's going to come back. And if it comes back and you're not filled and you've just been cleaned up a bit, then it's going to go get its friends and seven more is going to come. It's going to be worse. So walk with me. Stay free. Right. And you say, well, should we cast it out if we know it's going to come back with seven more? Shouldn't we just leave them? See, that is humanistic thinking. Leave a person in lesser bondage because it's lesser bondage. Right. Don't set them free. No. You say, well, but you don't know what they're going to do. You don't know if they're going to walk with God or, or, or I mean, it actually could be worse for them. Yeah, that's why you need to tell them you're free. Now walk with God and you disciple them. And whenever they get discipled, see, you're assuming they're not going to want to be discipled. But once they get free, they may actually want to walk with God. They might actually have great love for him. And then they want to get filled with this spirit. And whenever the enemy comes back, he'll find a house full. No vacancies. Right. So the whole our mentality is such that we have been uh, so trained because of failure that we, we, we can reason it out in our minds to not even try to set a person free, right? Now, let's go and read some more here. <clears throat> in next page, yeah. How much did he require? Let's look at the next one. In Matthew chapter nine, verse 20. And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood 12 years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, if I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about and when he saw her, he said, daughter, be of good comfort. Your faith has made you whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. Now notice, uh, in another gospel, he even tells us that when he turned about, he told the disciples. He said, someone has touched me. And they said, Lord, look at the press. Look at the people. Everybody's touching you. He, goes, he says, no, you don't understand. Someone has touched me because I felt virtue. I felt power go out. And when he turned around, he didn't know who did it. 
had no, no clue who actually touched him. And then it says, whenever she saw then that she had been found out, basically because he turned around, then she told him all the truth and told him what happened. Now, get this. She got healed, and Jesus didn't know a thing about who got healed. He didn't know if she deserved it. She didn't know, he didn't know how she got you know, the, sick, the uh, issue of blood. He, he didn't know any of that. And yet she was able to dictate her own healing by her saying, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. So who dictated her healing? She did. And she was able to touch him and pull that out to the point where he didn't even have to say, all right, I'll give you healing. Imagine that. Just pull it out. Now watch what happens. This is the first instance we have of this. And this is in Matthew 9. Now look at Matthew 14. So that's five chapters later. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all that country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched were made perfectly whole. Now listen, so now he's been going around. This is Matthew 14. This is halfway through the book. He's going around healing people, setting people free. And here these guys come up after the woman with the issue of blood. These guys come and say, oh, no, you don't have to lay hands on us. Just let us touch him of your garment. Where do you think they got that idea from? What, what he did, what this woman did, yeah. the news spread. Yeah. And they said, what, what do you mean? You don't mean I don't, I don't even have to get permission? I don't even have to go up and, 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 and ask him to heal. I can, just, I can just come up behind him and touch him of his garment. Do you realize how much bigger that is? How much bigger that makes God in their eyes? Because they thought, like most people do, well, if I'm going to go to him, I've got to ask him. And he could say no, and he could have a reason why not. And all that's, you know, and, and so autom automatically they're thinking, oh, you know, if there was a better way, you know, is there a way I can bypass that, that, that interview process? You know, where I can just get in there and get, well, didn't you hear about the woman with the issue of blood? She just touched him with a garment. Well, I'm just going to sneak up behind him and touch him with a garment too. Right? And so instead they said, hey, you know, we heard about this. We heard power comes out from you. Can we just do that instead? And they touched him with a garment and got healed. Everybody. You realize how big God is? I'll go into this testimony. We were, um, and the point here is that Jesus didn't have to know anything. And yet too many times today, we think we have to go into every detail of somebody's life. And I'll be honest with you, the main reason we do that is because too often we have broken people trying to fix broken people. Yeah. We have people that need to be needed. And because of that, they have brought this whole counseling uh, industry into the church. And now, and now we even have Christian counselors. And I'm not saying there's not a place for it, but healing isn't that place, right? Now, what most people call counseling, and you really can't find that in the Bible, okay, where, where they counseled people out of their problems. Real counseling, according to the Bible, if you're going to call it the Bible term, it's called discipleship. And it's where you come and you associate with the group of people and they disciple you. And they, now in that, would there be some counseling? Of course. But most of it, you just walk together, live together, ask questions. No, when I say live together, I mean live in life together. You don't have, you don't have to move in. I'm not inviting anybody to move in. All right. Just <laughs> let me be clear. Right. I'd have to ask my wife first and it's not going to work. So, but I want you to realize that you, you have to live life together. You understand? You walk together. You, you, you uh, have a fellowship one with another and you ask questions. And as you're going through and as you, you know, you say, OK, well, listen, I got to run over here to the hardware store. Why don't you come go with me? And while you're riding, you're talking. When you get there, you see somebody sick and you're like, all right, uh, you want me to do this? You want to do this? 
Well, you do it and I'll watch you. Okay, then you walk over and you minister and you set that person free. And then when you start to leave, then you say, now, what did what, what, you see about that? What was not, well, why'd you do it this way? Well, it's because of this. Well, why'd you do that? Well, I did it like this, right? And that's called discipleship. And then you're on the way back and you go, oh, you know what, I'm going to stop first and get some gas. So uh, uh, won't you run in, in uh, you know, if it's me, if you're with me, you're going to run in and grab a Coke. That's what you're going to do. And people say, well, you shouldn't drink Coke. Well, I can drink any deadly thing and it won't hurt me. So leave me alone. So <laughs> I'm living by faith and it works. Amen. <laughs> so just haven't learned how to cast out calories yet. Still working on that one. So, <clears throat> but you tell them to go in and as they go in, they come out and say, there's a guy in here that's sick. He, he needs help. Would you come in? Okay, well, I'll come in, but you're going to do it. What do you mean I'm going to do it? What? You saw the last one. You do this one. And then that person ministers, and then you say, okay, let's go. And you leave. Well, uh, now let me critique that. You did that good. You introduced that good. You walked up. You introduced yourself. You said that. That was all good. Might not want to say this. You know, uh, well, why don't you want to mention the devil? It was a devil. I cast out a devil. Yeah, but he had a son there with him, and his son was, you know, seven years old, and you said devil, and sometimes that might scare kids and stuff. It's just better use wisdom sometimes and not have to say that. If you talk to a devil, the devil knows you, you know it's a devil. You don't have to call it a devil for it to know it. See? And that's discipleship. You learn together and you walk it out. And then the next time you say, hey, you two go to the store and watch him. And, then it, and that's how discipleship works. And that's the way it's supposed to be, right? And you live life. And it's not a matter of, well, how do you do this in a church service? This isn't about church, right? This is about living the Christian life and who he, what he said believers could do. This isn't about how to have a better healing service. Okay, this is because honestly, we, we really shouldn't even need a healing service. Christians shouldn't need healing. We ought to learn to be well, live well, live in the blessings of God, live in divine health, and we shouldn't even need it. And if you do, that's fine. We can help you. But the bottom line is we want to get you to a place where you don't need healing. So then you're a walking billboard of God's keeping power, not just his healing power. Amen. So Amen. now quickly here. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> yeah. Go to. We were in Matthew 14. Now, and it says that he healed them all and they were all made perfectly whole. And then I'll tell you that story. I didn't forget it. We'll get there. And the next part, it says the apostles healed them all. In Acts 5, because some people would say, well, you know, that was Jesus. Jesus healed them all. I get it. But that's not us. Okay, let's, let's read about us, right? Acts chapter 5, verse 15. Insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There, now, notice here. It does not say technically anybody got healed by his shadow passing over them. Now, I'm not saying it didn't happen. Just saying you can't just say it did because it doesn't say that. Right? But now notice what it does say. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. So if you want to tie that to the shadow, I guess you can. But the bottom line is, we were talking about the apostles, the disciples, and we're talking about all the sick people, and, he, and they were all healed. So even the disciples got everybody healed. You got that? Now, you do remember the one case where the man uh, was blind, came to Jesus, Jesus prayed for him. Actually, it said Jesus took him outside the city, and he laid hands on him. And immediately he said, what do you see? And the man said, I see men as trees walking. In other words, I'm seeing movement. I'm seeing some stuff. It's not defined yet, but, but I can, I'm seeing better, right? And it said, what did he do? Jesus laid hands on him again. And the second time he was healed, right? Now, again, 
realize what took place. Jesus didn't say, well, you know, according to your faith, and that's as much faith as you got, so you're only going to see ministries walking. That's as far as you get, and that's that. He didn't do that. Je and notice also, Jesus didn't just pray one time. Or actually, he didn't pray at all. It didn't say anything about him praying. But he laid hands twice. And if he laid hands twice, we can lay hands twice. Amen? Now, I understand Wigglesworth said, if you pray for a person, or if you pray and you pray 99, or pray 100 times, you prayed 99 times in unbelief. I get that. I heard, you know, I, I understand that. Uh, and it was probably the only stupid thing he ever said, right? Uh, but the fact is, I'm not, no disrespect, okay? He's a great man of God. But I'm just trying to get across. Wigglesworth is not my total example, right? Jesus is. Now, he said we should do the same works and greater. So should I have to lay hands twice? No. We ought to be, be able to get it the first time, right? But if somebody needs it, you pray as many times as you have to. Now, this goes to how you pray, okay? If you're going to go and pray and ask God to do it, and it works partially, but maybe not totally, and then you're going to go back and ask God again. Okay, now you're asking twice for the same thing. Till Osborne used to say, never ask God to do what he's already done, right? And then he said, don't ever ask God to do what he told you to do. Those are two good points. Now, if you knock out those two things, it doesn't leave a whole lot to ask God to do, right? Most of it is you being obedient and doing what he told you to do. And so whenever you minister to a person, and, and notice, if I go to a person and say, okay, God, please heal this person. Okay, now we're going to lay hands. How's that? Now, if I go back again, now I'm saying, well, you, you, you didn't do it, so i got to ask you again. So I could understand how that would lead somewhat to unbelief. I can, I can kind of get it, or at least to a degree of doubt. But... You have to remember, Jesus never asked God to heal. He commanded. That's all he ever did. Now, if you don't get anything else, get this point. He never asked God to heal anyone. He always said, be healed. Receive your healing. He told demons, go. He, so it was always a command. He never asked God to do it. So if you, when you minister, if you give a command, I can command, all right, receive your eyesight. Right? How's that? Well, it's better. Okay, better but not complete. Right. Well, guess what? I can command again and still be in faith. But if I have to ask again, now I could see where I'd be getting out of faith because I'm assuming God didn't do it. But if I minister healing twice and I command twice, now I'm just adding to what I've already done. Do you, you see the difference there? Yeah. It's not just semantics. There, it's a whole different way of seeing things and of looking at things from a point of view where, now, and you have to realize, a man can only give what he has received. Amen? So you give out. You give out all you got, and a person gets so much better. Okay, then, and you, maybe you need to step back and go, you know what? This isn't right. It's good. It's not right. So right now, Father, I thank you. This is done. Now I'm going to do it again. And you lay hands, and you command healing in. Be healed in Jesus' name. All right, what are you doing? You're adding again. You get it? You're adding two. I don't like to use some of these things because they're not always um, perfectly accurate. But I will, I will use it just so you get an idea. So please don't, don't make this into a doctrine, okay? But understand the concept. Let's say that a person, that, let's say that a healing, a, a particular, let's say any healing, right? any type of healing takes 100 units of faith, Right? A hundred units, any healing, if you have a hundred units of faith, if you can apply a hundred units, 
they get healed, okay? No matter what it is. And, but let's say for whatever reason, you're only working at 40 units of faith, right? So what are you gonna do? You lay hands on them, they're gonna get a little better, right? Now I know this goes against everything I just said about the volume and all that. I'm just trying to get a, get a concept across to you, okay? That's why I said don't make this to a doctrine. I'm just trying to help you see something. Because when we minister, what we're doing is what, what uh, the example John Lake used, he said, healing is a divine chemical reaction where faith and power are mixed and released. Now, what do, you, what do you think whenever you say two things combined does something different? Epoxy. Isn't that right? You have the two things in epoxy and separately they're okay, but when you mix them, then they become a, a new thing, right? And then when they become, now, so you got faith and you got power. Now, the power was delivered to you when you received the Holy Spirit. Faith, you've had since you got born again, right? So when you mix those two to release it, now, when you mix faith and power, it results in what's called healing, okay? If that's what you're directing it toward, if that's what the person needs. Why? Because God is Jehovah Jireh, the provider of whatever you need. You got that? So whenever you mix these two together, then it becomes that healing. Now, but let's just for the sake of example, let's say for whatever reason, maybe I'm distracted. Okay, maybe I'm praying for a lot of people and this and I just got a call and many times you see me during the breaks, I'll go back in the back. It's not I'm trying to avoid you or anything. That's not the case at all. But when these meetings go on, life still goes on. I still get phone calls. I still get prayer requests. I still get things uh, coming in, email, different things. And that's what I'm checking a lot of times because they come in constant. And so, and there are a couple of situations that I'm pretty much always dealing with at some point. Somebody's always trying to die somewhere. They're just trying to and we're fighting against it, all right? So, but let's say I'm distracted and I got something going on and when I minister to you, uh, you know, I'm not able to just focus and I only release 40 units of faith, right? Now, what does that mean? I'm gonna have to pray again, right? And now we got 80 units. So by the time I release 80, guess what ought to be happening? We ought to see some change in you. May not be finished, but we ought to see some change. If I minister a third time, now we're at 120, so push it right over the top, you're done. You, get, you understand what I mean by that? So the only reason I'm saying, again, don't make it a doctrine, don't make it about volume. I'm just trying to say, we give what we've got. Sometimes you're more focused than others. Sometimes you're able to really zero in on something and, and blast it. But you need to realize that whenever you release life, life goes in and it drives out sickness or disease. And the more you can add, the better off you are. I've, I've, there's been so many people, they would actually come to me and say, you know, uh, I've been prayed for by the best. You know, I've had this person lay hands on me and that person, you know, what do you think you can do? And you know, most of them say, well, I don't think I can do anything. So why don't you just go, why are you here? You know, I don't say it because I try to be nice and polite. But usually what I tell them, I say, you know what? So-and-so, he probably gave you this much. So-and-so, he gave you that much. You're probably that close to actually getting healed and don't even know it. So if I add to it, you're going to get healed and you're going to think it was me. In reality, it was all of us together working to put you over the hump, so to speak, to get you to that place so that nobody gets credit for it. It all goes back to God and he gets the credit. Amen. And when we do that, we keep ministering. We can minister as often if we, as we have to, to get a person healed. This is the whole idea of the healing rooms. People came for 30 days, were ministered to every day, and they got better and better. And at the end of 30 days, they were healed and completely free. Many even before that, Sometimes the first day, sometimes the third day. One person I know of was healed on the 28th day. 
uh, didn't show up. And Dr. Lake called him and said, is that the kind of person you are? You quit before the 30 days, what you committed to? He said, well, I didn't come back because I didn't need to. I got healed. He goes, okay, well, then you're good, right? And just let him go. But we need to realize we keep going until we get what we came for. And what we came for was what the Bible says is our right, which is for them to be healed. Amen? We don't stop. When Jesus went to raise Lazarus from the dead, when they told him, he did not say Lazarus would not die. He said, this sickness will not end in death. But he died. Well, guess what? That wasn't the end. Right? He didn't say he wouldn't die. He said it won't end in death. Now, most people, when they die, they go, oh, that's it. I guess we missed it. Well, if you do that, guess what? You'll never see the dead raised. But you have to decide, this thing will not end in death. And you keep going. And if they die, all right, you just shift gears. And now we're no longer healing the sick. Now we're raising the dead. So let's go after it. And you dig in and you don't quit. And you keep pushing. Amen? You don't stop. You keep going. So take a quick break.